I mean, I, I think there's a few layers there. I think, first of all, I think as a, as a company, if you were thinking about moving to a, to a flatter structure, you've probably got to have a problem, you know, to fix because you've got to have some kind of motivation to, to want to make that change. And I think if the organization has got problems with its, and you, and you have a solution, the team that you have existing are going to be more open to hearing about a new approach and probably more willing to try something to solve the current challenge that's there. Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners, experts and thought leaders in the field of business resilience. Do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Spencer Gallagher on the show. Uh, good afternoon to you, Spencer. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, good to have you on. Uh, you are an agency founder and you've exited a top eight UK digital agency many years ago. And over the last sort of 10 years, you've been dedicating your time to supporting independent agencies and founders to scale up their business through your business, uh, Cactus. Uh, you're also the author of a book called Agencynomics which is all about helping agency owners, founders, and shareholders and how to scale a business from start to the first five million and beyond in revenue. And today we're going to be exploring culture. We're going to be looking at flat organizational structures along with resistance to change. Uh, Before we get into that, Spencer, I'd love to know what you love about what you do. I guess, you know, I've always been an achievement driven person because I kind of felt like I failed school early on in life. So I was always trying to justify some level of achievement or success. And then once I built my first company and sold it, it's really weird that kind of transition now into getting sort of more, uh, let's say more gratification from making other people successful. So today, the thing I love the most is helping others achieve success. So by supporting, um, you know, other entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders growing their businesses, seeing them achieve a level of success, that's really where I get my kicks. Fantastic. And so we're going to be talking culture today and a little bit about that. And obviously you've, you've grown a business, sold a business, you experience businesses that you you work with. From your perspective, what, what what's culture all about? Well, that's a really big question, isn't it? <laughs> what's culture all about? <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny. Uh, it was, I guess it was, you know, over the years when you, because I've always been with in people businesses, I think I started off in retail with, you know, working alongside big teams of people. And when I had my own agency, you know, being a service business, we're a people business. I think the, the importance of, you know, understanding that, you know, bringing together a collection of people who can all, um, you know, hopefully endorse the same values and behaviors uh, um, and embrace those and come together to create some kind of, uh, you know, a, a, an environment that is, for me, hopefully, that is one that, you know, can bring a lot of fun, friendship, learnings, you know, and, and, and if you can bring that into the workplace, you know, it, it creates the best of environments. So, I believe, you know, Peter Drucker always said, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I remember when I first read that, when I read a lot of his management consultancy books back in the day, 
Um, and, you know, it's true, you know, for us as a business cactus, we are we are a culture led M&A business um, now and an agency growth advisory, which means that <clears throat> we only really work with people who, are, who care about their culture, who care about their people, who, who are able to create the right environments for their people to thrive, um, to create the right leadership environments, podcasts on leadership where, you know, it. it where people are able to become the best versions of themselves and be inspired and encouraged to, to go on that journey. So for me, culture is a really, really important part, of any business. Um, and it fundamentally really sits at the heart, especially in, in the world that I live in and work in today in agency space, cultures are particularly important, you know, to all of those businesses, uh, because ultimately they are people businesses. You know, they don't have products and widgets. They just are all about the people. Yeah, and I think we often forget that businesses are all about people. Whether you're a service or a product business, it, it's it's people that matter, isn't it? And creating an environment, which is what I guess culture does, really, to to help people thrive. Um, just going back to your your business that you you sold uh, many years ago. Were you intentional about the culture of that uh, organization or did it just sort of happen and just sort of evolve as you went? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's a really interesting question because I I, I was 28 when I started Blue Halo and I actually had left school and started working at 16. And so from the age of 16, I had teams working, you know, for me. from a very young age, you know, started off with just Saturday staff. And by the time I was 17, I had full-time staff. And by the time I was like 20, I think it was probably about 22, I had a hundred people working for me. And then, you know, and it was, and, and I thought having been, having worked with larger teams, you know, and, and worked with, you know, thousands of, of employees at that, at probably by the time I was 28, I thought that I kind of knew everything. And then when you actually run it for your, set your own business up, it sounds a bit weird, but it's like when you work for somebody else, you know, culture is created and organized by other people in the business, so to speak. You know, your people are onboarded through processes to test that you have the right behaviors, you have to share values. And when you do something for yourself, you kind of just, you know, you you meet great people. You tend to recruit people that you feel connect to your core values at first so what i'm trying to say is when you when you start a business i would say actually a lot of the things that you can learn working elsewhere or or the support you have elsewhere you don't have so you end up so for me was it intentional i think no i think i thought that it, it would be intentional but i think the reality is is that uh i tended to recruit and take people on that i recognized had similar values to myself and it wasn't really until I was probably a few years in that I realized that I needed to stop that. And I needed to make sure that I was more intentional about the type of behaviors and values I wanted to have in, in the business. Um, without question, um, our, uh, our our tagline at Blue Halo was uh, was was uh, creativity cultivated. And, and, and actually the cultivation of our culture was fundamental to that, to that tagline. So it did become intentional and uh, and certainly the you know we talk about selling the business i think i want to make it really clear to everyone the business wasn't sold just so i could make money it was sold intentionally because the culture had reached a point the, the team had reached a point where i was probably not in a position to help them fulfill their ambitions you know once they were starting to outgrow the company's growth because mm-hmm. their abilities had got and you know 
when you're trying to scale a business, you know, you, you've got a team of wonderfully talented people. I was almost failing them by not becoming part of something bigger where they could have more career mm-hmm. paths, career opportunities. You know, organically growing a business is great, but it does reach a point where sometimes, you know, you do need more help uh, to be able to get to those next levels. Um, I think the biggest testament I always say is I still get messages today, 10, 12 years later, 13, but we're now 15 years later, actually, you know, thanking me for people, for me taking them on, for the opportunities that I was able to give them and the opportunities I left them with as well when we sold the business. And I think that's really, really nice, you know, legacy to have as well when I look back. Um, yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, interesting talking about scaling and, and obviously you, obviously you were intentional at the start, but then start to get a bit more thoughtful about culture. And when people start to scale a business, how do we then bring that, I guess, culture along with the size? You say you got to a point where you felt you needed to yeah. sell it because to give the opportunities, and that's that's incredible. Actually, you're thinking that way in terms of helping other people, um, which just says what you're about, really. Um, and so, but yeah, how do we how do we sort of sort of take that learning what you've learned, and how do we sort of do that in a business where actually you're scaling it, but then scale the culture because well, things change, don't they? They do. You know, it's really great. And this is probably one of the most fundamental things that I do today. When I go into an agency um, today or, or my, our company does cactus, go, you know, the teams go in, they're often fa- at the size where they are, you know, normally, you know, up to the first 15, 20 employees and they have family type feels to them. You know, that it's it's small. The, the business it's a flat structure everyone knows everybody sometimes there's friends and family in there because that's the way a lot of businesses start not always but often those businesses are really nice and you go in and they're like you know what we've got a lot of things really nice here about the culture is the foundation of the culture is you know because when most people start their own business they they have these visions of creating their own utopia you know, they they didn't like a previous line manager or a previous boss, and they they said, "Well, I start a business, I'm going to do it my way." And and they and they try to create something in in the nicest possible way with the nicest culture, and and it and it does have a friends and family feel. And what I've been trying to do in the last, certainly in the in you know in the last sort of 13, 12 years now, at Cactus, and and actually before I had business was trying to understand how do you retain that culture of of the of a of a smaller organization as you scale because what i noticed with my own business was as i recruited more and more senior people that came from more corporate backgrounds so came in the you know the, the political approaches the you know the the bruises of working in a big organization like having to hide behind email and blaming other people and not trying to own take extreme ownership on on things and so so actually, I think I learned a lot of that by trying to scale and trying to act more like a traditional 20th century business. But then what I did myself was I realized that I wanted to try and go back to how I was and protect that the business that we were at a million with 15, 16 employees. And today going into business now, I try very hard to help those companies understand that there is another way, you know, there is another way to bring in line management bring in hierarchical structures. There is another way to grow a team. And yes, there are still some of the really important 
business management techniques that that you need to bring into those businesses. You know, you do need to you do need to you know have a, some leadership principles. You do need to have some organisational uh, you know va- va- values <clears throat> and behaviours for individuals. But you can do that in a non hierarchical management way and, and build it much more on leadership and coaching. And that's what I try and do with those businesses today to try and help them scale while re- retaining their cultures that they've built, that they want to build. And, um, yeah, that's that's kind of a lot to do with my day job, on the team's day job today. So let, let's explore that whole non-hierarchical way because, obviously, when you get to sort of 10, 15, you can reasonably have a quite a flat structure. When you start hitting 30, 50 and beyond, you know, suddenly put people put in the old structures, don't they, and all the way down. And that can be helpful because it gives you guidelines, gives you a sense of where you you're, you are in the environment of the organization. But how do you think we should be doing it to try and keep that, I guess, that small company fluidity, innovation, yeah. turning on its head, pace, which I guess that's what we sometimes want as well. We want to keep the pace of the small business. And we always talk of, you know, you go to a big business, I've worked for massive businesses and like turning tankers they really are so slow but actually you know there's ways of doing it and i'd like to explore how we can do that to make even big businesses very nimble as well and how they approach things yeah i mean and it's a, a multifaceted approach it's not um you know again a linear approach and we you've seen in business the trend the transition to more <clears throat> agile working um you know organizational transformation <clears throat> significantly in the last probably five to six years has moved you know to a more agile approach and i think we're well, just generally when i look at the clients i work with they used to deliver everything in a very waterfall methodology and now they, they build things in a much more modular agile way so they can be more responsive and they can be um and they and, they, and it's more progressive and, and, and more modern but the first challenge of all when when you have this approach and i find it particularly if you already are an established business with a hierarchy is it's very very different difficult to move from there but i'm fortunate i'm going in early enough when people appreciate and value the culture as it is and i'm able to say to them would you like to try and scale this and protect it i have i have done this successfully through to over 100 people so i know that it, it does scale it does work and the premise really is, first of all, and it goes back to some of those classic kind of management leadership um, principles that are always there, which is you've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be able to find intrinsic motivation from your team. So we know that we know intrinsic motivation comes from purpose, autonomy and mastery. And we know that we need to trust the people that work for us. And we need to move from a controlling environment to one where we are empowering and trusting people. OK, and to do that, it takes leadership you know, people in leadership in businesses and often the smaller stages, you know, you're going to have a CEO or a founder in that business to be able to accept the fact that, you know, that, that people will make mistakes and people will, you will have to have a culture where people can make a mistake and it's okay. As long as you learn the lesson and don't make it twice or three times, it's fine. <laughs> and so the first thing is, is you've got to build in a, a, a trusted team. You've got to ensure that the people coming into your business understand that you are going to operate in a flat organizational structure, which means that you are going to be trusted, empowered to work autonomously, to take ownership and to and to deliver against the roles and responsibilities that you have in your business. But also you're going to have to have collective roles and responsibilities to be part of wider squads and teams 
to take on ownership to solve other problems. And if you are a leader in this business, your job is not to control, you know, it is to to support the people that that the what your colleagues are working on so the way you can because you have more expertise and this is where the problem happens because if you if you have an organization and you want to build a flat structure you can't recruit people who used to be managers who want to be managers because they want power they want to be in control they see their career progression being you know, very different to the way that we would position it now more as a meritocracy, which is all about people in the organization can grow and have a career path based on their abilities to perform their job rather than the ability to manage others. And so, so yeah, so it, it's, it's a, it's a, first of all, you, you know, the, there's, there's a, 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 the multi-fast approach. You've got to get the original team to buy into it and be happy that, that they aren't going to become line managers, but they will be able to create have a career progression through their abilities and that and the value they bring to the organization. That's why they'll be paid in the future. And and then when you bring people in, you've got to make sure they understand that as well. You know, um, because I would say that the 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 salaries and career paths of the people in our flatter structural organizational structures are often in excess of those in the hierarchy ones because they're more self-aware of how they add value to the organization mm. you know and that doesn't mean that let's say for example as you grow you have certain responsibilities that are needed that may be more significant where normally a line manager might have come in to take ownership we just bring people in to have roles and responsibility to take ownership of there and they will work alongside other people in their teams again you know i've had junior people come into organizations uh, you know without any line management but they still have to work alongside people still have to learn i encourage all the people in those businesses to not have a manager run for example their personal development plans we encourage the team members to own their own careers you know and it's a culture shift of you know, people coming into a business going, what do I do next to, right, let me take ownership on what I need to do and how I need to deliver that in line with the business objectives, align with what my colleagues are doing and my mm. roles and responsibilities. And so it's, um, yes, you know, it's a fascinating approach. And I did it, I first launched it myself in 2004 at Blue Halo. And, and, and it, you know, there were some lessons to learn. It's never, you know, I don't think any organizational approach is, right or wrong i think there are always going to be challenges with any approaches but ultimately i found that and this is give you an example of how it worked when we were doing two million in billings at blue halo which was you know good uh, when i first probably put the flat structure in place after twice trying to scale the hierarchies and it just not working we just lost our culture we lost our essence of who we were and how we approach working with clients and each other we had 40 people in the business, but by the time we put the flat structure in, we got to 3 million in billings. We had just 30 people, 32 people in the business. So we had become one third more efficient with higher customer satisfaction, higher staff morale by moving to hierarchy. And I remember Peter Drucker always saying in his books, he said, and he, he actually said this, even though he built 100 a hundred level uh, layers of hierarchies in like some of the big IT firms in the States. I remember reading and, and shiver went down my spine when I read it because no one ever talked about it, but how he said that if he could, if you could remove hierarchies from organizations and he believed you could do it through the right empowerment of the individuals in the organization, he said you would effectively increase any organizational 
efficiency and profitability by 30%. And, and that was exactly the number that we had discovered, you know, ourselves. So, um, so I think that, you know, the, the results and the output of doing this are, are great, but it, it does take a lot of planning. You know, you, it's a lot of planning. You have got to make sure that you onboard the right people, the right mindset. You've got to have an existing team who are happy to do that. And the biggest challenge, just to lay it down to everyone so you know, is someone new will come into the business and say, yeah, but my company, my last company never did it that way. And that's <laughs> one of the problems I've had the most is that it's almost like, I think the reason we have so many hierarchical organizational structures, if you anyone, I mean, I'm sure you've read Frederick Laloux's book, Reinventing Organizations. Uh, mm. If you haven't anyone, please go read it. But, you know, it, the reason we ended up with the 20th century hierarchical model was because it was the military and the church had the same model. And we just thought, well, if it works in the military and church, it must work in everyday business life. And it started off actually goes against probably everything that we believe in today in society. You know, the privilege of, 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 of the hierarchy of these, of the military, of the, of the, uh, of the church, you know, choosing who they put into lead positions and et cetera, et cetera. And, and actually, when you when you actually start to forward the clock and start to test and try, you know, some of the techniques that Brian Tracy talked about, holacracy, um, when you start to look at some of the progressive organizations that have adopted flat or flatter organizational structures, you'll see that actually there is a really potentially a very more progressive way of doing things. But we're all just so set in our ways and scared of change. And, and it's not, you know, that it's, we're just going to go, we used to do it that way. So let's just keep doing it the same way that we used to do. And rather than just saying, well, what if, what if we, we did change things? Um, definitely. I guess, I guess it, I guess it's fear, isn't it? It gets in the way. That, that's what happens. Is it? It's the, it's yeah. the, no, we've never done it before. We're it unsure. And, and I guess if you're a big organization, if you're like 200 people, how where do you start to try and take it from a hierarchical i mean it's all right when you're growing from 10 to 15 yeah um you can sort of grow with it and that's the way you're going to do it and you can employ yeah. people with that right mindset make them aware of this but how do you take something that might be very fixed at 200 people how would you introduce that how do you start to turn that into more of a flat structure approach making people more i guess accountable collective responsibilities no titles all on the same level so to speak probably like any change management program, you've got to start with a plan. You've got to start with a vision. Uh, you have to show what, what you're, why you're trying to, to, to go there. What are you hoping to achieve? What will, what's in it for me as an employee in the business, like as a team member, what's in it for me as a colleague. And I think if you can, so, so what is it, what is in it for the, for the colleagues then? What do they get out of it? Well, I think first of all, what what's the latest Gallup Q12 survey says? It's something like over eighty percent of individuals are are unsatisfied with their line manager, or the main reason they're unhappy in their job is their line manager. We could, I mean, I, I don't have the exact data to hand, but I'm sure we could pull that up, and we could show that the first thing will be is that, you know, from my experience, I have it every day. Every I'm in board meetings almost every day of the month, and the you know, and every day in a board meeting, it'll be someone's just left. I'll ask the question why, and they said they didn't like their line manager. And this is in the business where I don't, I don't have them in every in every business flat structures. And I'm like, well, why? What happened? Oh, well, he did. He, the line manager wouldn't approve holiday, and the person took it personally. I'm like, okay, well, you know, like silly little things that cause you know people to to to, to leave jobs. Um, I think that um, what's in it for them? Well, I think it's 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 first of all um, 
as you rightly said, it's it's tr- starting to trust people in your team. They can take better career charge of their own career. They can start to view their own personal development plan, map out where they want to go, take more personal ownership in their career rather than relying on a line manager to decide where their career is going or not going, which often can be have hidden agendas in there. I think you you did hit the nail on the head about the, you know, about the, if I was a 200 person organization, what would I do? I, I Honestly, I probably would have to pick a division and probably run a, a pilot and show the rest of the business how it worked, because I think it would be hard to wholesale move a large, I mean, I've seen large organizations do this. I'm sure, you know, if you read part of a business review, like I do, there's quite a few examples of, of companies that have done this, but um, I, I noticed, I think was um, the famous one was um, back in the day was Zappos um, and Tony Shea, God rest his soul, uh, passed away a couple of years ago. He said um, to everyone in the business, look, we're going to move to a flat structure. If management and power is important to you, he said, then then let's talk about helping you find another job in a new career in a new area and another company. And he lost 30 percent of his workforce because those people saw management as important to them. But nevertheless, he then ended up because he realized he'd lost he'd lost his culture. If you read his book, he had a what you know that um, Amazon bought his business for one billion dollars because he had you know he's one of the, he was one of the most famous values driven organizations out there, and he you know he decided he'd lost you know they grew they lost that culture and he wanted to go back to how it was, and so he believed that by by creating the matter structure that that would solve that problem. So I think if you're a 200 person agency, you're going to need to have a good change management plan. You probably want to pick a division and try and start to show people how to mm-hmm. run that as a pilot. Uh, and and yes, there will be some change involved. What would be in it for the team members that I've seen and firsthand, and also through the clients? I think you know once you start trusting your employees more to take more control of their career and their contribution to the company, you unlock something very special. Yeah, intrinsic motivation. It's like once you've got a team of intrinsically motivated people. I mean, just so you, I mean, an inspired employee delivers two point five times more than a satisfied employee in an organization so you know if you can empower someone to have intrinsic motive to feel more inspired about what they're doing your organization is just going to get a lot more out of people yeah and so yeah but it it, it seems to me it's uh, having a flat structure and sort of non-hierarchy is it's it's the sort of fullness of being completely empowered and enabled as a, as a, an individual where, you know, there's a lot of talk about empowerment and I think more people are not in all organizations, more empowered and more free to sort of do how they think is appropriate for what they're doing. And there's a bit more of a soft to touch from a line manager point of view. I think there's a lot more of that. And I know when I was in the corporate world, there's a lot more, you have to be, you, you're in charge of your own destiny of your own developments. And so that, that obviously is helpful um in terms of the development side how does it work in that context of flat structure where you have your line manager in the sort of more structural way who becomes is a more of a coach to you in some ways and i know when i was line managing i wouldn't be just telling people i'd be you know helping to spot talent some of the blind spots and then help and enabling them either through other resource or other inputs they needed where does that come in that context? Not that they didn't take ownership, but they we all need some external input to help developers at some point. 
Yeah, I think I think you know when I was younger, people often used to get the hierarchical chart. They used to turn it on its head and say, "This is how an org chart should really be." And I think you know what what I try to do is when we draw our org charts out, which are horizontal, obviously not pyramid shaped, is making sure that those people who are able to inspire others, you know, to 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 uh, or to coach others, to support others. Are just positioned underneath not on top you know and just it sounds stupid but it's just small little details like that and the organizations often you go into you know you've got this hierarchy and at the bottom you've got some real talented people and they just feel like they're worthless because they sit at the bottom and so mm. first of all just positioning the the leaders and as coaches underneath and highlighting their job is to support people and that that alone as soon as you're starting to support your colleagues it ends up being well you're not a threat to me you're not controlling my career or you know you're here genuinely to authentically make me a better version of myself and so i think that's you know that the, what you know that is a very very important part of this process um and and i think also i think people i mean so well, yeah. So what am I, where's the question going? Have I answered the question there? Really? Well, it, it's about. I suppose for me, it's the development side. Is it more of a more fluid? Individuals. Yeah. So is it more ad hoc? As in, you're inspired by somebody, or actually, you might say to somebody, actually, could you just help me with this? Because I, I need some support yeah. on this. Is it that sort of more fluid rather than somebody assigned to you as such, which is obviously yeah. a line manager approach? Well, I think a little bit of both. I think within each kind of team area of the business i think there are coaches that should be assigned they're always going to be naturally more experienced people in the meritocracy who are able to share their experience to support and help with the development of others and hopefully that will be will be really clear but i, I think that the um the the, the the key thing for me is and this is what i do i guess if i give you tell you how i approach this with companies is I, when I ask the individuals to work on their own personal development plans and take ownership, a lot of the time they find that difficult because they're used to being almost given it and told what to do. And, you know, they, they, they're managed through one-to-ones, but to actually take that and then find somebody in the business who's a leader in any area to be your accountability partner. And so for me, in a flatter structure, if there's an issue around training, well, the budget, they speak to the finance manager. If there's an issue around them improving their individual skills in a particular area, it's probably the leader within their sector of the section of the business. Mm. But let's say, for example, it's someone who wants to aspire to be, in the end, I don't know, a, a consultant or a coach or in a different division. There's nothing to stop them reaching out and saying, hey, would you mind being my accountability partner? I've been into businesses that I've been on the a non-exec for, and I've had members of the team come to me and say, one day I want to be, I want to actually be a consultant. So at the moment, I'm kind of working in the business doing a design role. I'd like, to, but I wonder, could my all of my uh, investment on training and development is going to be around making me a better consultant advisor? Would you mind being my, my you know, my accountability partner for my? And that, and, you know, so I do think having that fluidity, as you the words you use there, is important. But it's about just trusting the team to be able to be grown up enough to find out who they can connect to, who they can get as mentors, as coaches, to help them achieve their career path, their goal, mm. rather than it being almost in the hands of the organization. I think too many, and I do, I find this as a business leader a little bit difficult when sometimes, you know, employees are expecting their companies to be in charge of their career path. When I do think actually, you know, 
when they when when your team members leave their house in the morning they don't ring up someone to ask how to get the bus to work or you know, how to pay their mortgage or how to pay their rent you know they they have to figure this stuff out themselves and i think when we figure out things for ourselves and we take ownership on those things we're more likely to get to, to deliver on them yeah but we do need accountability partners and we do need coaches to help us get there yeah, I was going to say that that's the important thing is that accountability piece and that helping you support you uh, through coaching uh, or whatever it may be. Um, how do we take, because to me, this is a, it's a mindset change here, like all these things. Um, and we've had hundreds of, you know, tens of years doing this way. We've all ingrained in it. We've observed it. And how do we sort of shift that, that mindset with people, whether it's in an organization that's shifting or, you're interviewing people who are coming in to make sure they've got the 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 mindset or that that point where they can embrace this because some people this is quite scary because it, it, like anything when the, the the guardrails have gone it's all a bit like I'm not totally sure where to put myself where am I going to sit yeah. how do how do I fit into this organisation who's going to help me it's 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 can be quite scary can't it it's unknown. I mean, I think there's a few layers there. I think, first of all, I think as a, as a company, if you were thinking about moving to a, to a flatter structure, you've probably got to have a problem, you know, to fix because you've got to have some kind of motivation to, to want to make that change. And I think if the organization has got problems with its and you, and you have a solution, the team that you have existing are going to be more open to hearing about a new approach and probably more willing to try something to solve the current challenge that's there yeah so if it ain't broke it's going to be hard to fix it and i always say if organizational transformation i probably wouldn't start to change things if it's working right for example um and then yeah, i think just, just just with that though you say if it's not if it's working but if you if you're not tapping into what you think could be even more so like you did you went to a flat structure yeah and you, you, you took off twice and i i'd had hierarchies what i'd learned was in the hierarchy that i had I, I got interviewed by the financial times it was called recruiting the grown-ups as you scale and i was explaining how i brought all of these senior execs in from ibm and other big places mm. to help me put this management layer into scale and what i found was is that where they didn't have any extreme ownership they'd come in and they would they would they would do their job but if they made a mistake they would they would they would like blame everybody else there was no you know because they had had come from businesses where you know you they weren't you know you you know that they weren't trusted it wasn't it wasn't a safe place to work where you could make a mistake mm. say you're sorry you learned a lesson and so so I tried twice to build hierarchies and both times it failed. And so in a way, I did build the flat structure out from that motivation. Mm. I what you're saying, you're saying, well, if this company's you know, doing okay, they're, they're a good company, they want to become a great organization, then they see flat structure as a way to do that. Mm. You know, the first thing you're going to have to do is get the buy-in from, from, from the people in the organization. And to do that, you've either got to you know, show them the problem, the challenge the business faces mm. today. You know, we're a good company but we want to become a great company, mm. you know, and, and here are some good examples of, of people that have maybe made some of these transitions or, or the, the rationale and reason why you want to do, to move to having mm. a flat structure. Um, and I would also lower expectations when, you know, whenever I do this with the, the clients, I'm always saying to them, look, tell your teams that it's not going to be perfect straight away because there's no utopia overnight. It's mm. going to be a journey of, of you finding your own u- uniquenesses, in this this method or in this new approach mm. taking but ultimately there's nothing to stop you having individual roles and responsibilities and collective roles and responsibilities and that solving the hierarchy pro- hierarchical problem 
because mm. ultimately as you grow your business you're building a business of specialists not generalists and so every problem you have in the business can be solved by somebody you know either mm. you individually or collaboratively so does that is that answering your question or? i think so yeah uh, so what what just just finally really in terms of what what are the sort of obstacles what gets in the way of shifting to a flatter structure uh, just genuinely the people in the business who who often will say i've worked somewhere else um you know we didn't used to do it that way in our company and there's rose tinted glasses because they might remember the things that did work in that business maybe not holistically everything you know the stuff behind the scenes that didn't work um so normally it's just it's getting buy-in um i think also leaders that aren't prepared enough i, I spent 200 hours over 200 hours of learning and listening on flat organizational structures i read everything on, i could i listened to everything i could um, and that was on top of the fact i'd already built them and done it myself in my own business so even though i'd done that i then went away and re-educated myself and i think i think sometimes people might you know feel this is a way they should go but they haven't really thought through all of the challenges that are, are going to come up you know within this so you know I, I guess in it's in the heart of it the biggest question from the team members is what's my career path because that's where they worry and i think it's explaining that you know we have people who sit in a flat structure who aren't um, necessarily leaders but they are actually earning the largest amounts of money because they're bringing the most amount of value into the organization mm -hmm because they've understood how they can add more value to the comp to the organization rather than just having a position where they're controlling people you know mm. controlling entities within the business so um and and so yeah i think it's you know the the most important thing is for the leaders to really submerge themselves in this meet other people who are running flat organizational structures ask them to kind of learn and try to come up with a very comprehensive strategy. The, the book actually, Holacracy, is a really good book for anyone to read to get started. The, the, the problem I have with Holacracy is that um, it's written by an engineer, a highly detailed engineer, who believed that, that you, know, you have to have a huge amount of rules in place a huge charter in place to be able to make to be able to have create a, a, a fully empowered trusted organization and 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 i kind of understand that to a certain degree but i've learned in my business that we don't need there's a lot of common sense that just has to be applied which is mm. you know the common sense here is basically that you know um, you know, you can't bully your colleagues. You can't do certain things you can't, just can't do in life, right? Which is just, you know, basic manners and courtesy. And so, so what I would say is that sometimes you do need to build these these rules into a, into a framework. You know, staff handbook would have had these kind of things in. Mm. I mean, in some flat structures, they might over elaborate on the rules to try and put the framework around. You know, to, you are fully in, you know empowered, you are fully trusted, but you can't just go and spend you know, excessive amounts of money, you know, on certain projects without getting support from colleagues from your wider team. Um, so I think, yeah, so, but I think if you read Holacracy, it will start to probably make the most sense. The way he articulates it is very clear. The first time I ever heard of a flat structure was actually a book called Maverick. Did you ever read the book Maverick? No, um, no. The 1980s and a guy called Ricardo Semler, wonderful business book, like light years. I mean, 50-year-old book and he's probably... 40 50 year old book and he and he was talking about things then that were so progressive he was chat he was sort of challenging you know why does everyone wear a suit in his company and we you know every day was, well we just always do we always you know and actually it's a really good example we talk about flat structures and the way we dress at work and 
you know, for years we all were at war a certain way, but there was no reason for that other than we just felt it was the right thing to do. And then <laughs> someone sort of said, well, why do we wear suits? I don't know. Did anyone have a clue? Like, you know, it's, it suddenly became a reality that actually, you know, dre- dress may not be always necessarily the the the, um, the code, the right thing to have in the right certain organisations. So, so, yeah, so I think that um, I think it is important that, you know, um, this is my train of thought now. Sorry, I'm, I'm going on about dress code. But Ricardo, <laughs> sorry, he was he he started to identify the fact that he didn't believe that people needed to have a hierarchy. He started to play with this idea of he called it sort of cells, you know, and and sort of kept it quite organic, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then I think you know Brian Tracy did a great job of then taking that one step forward and bring that in. And I think since then, lots of other people, um, you know, I was reading in Harvard Business Review about a large insurance firm that introduced. Um, you know, uh, squads into, to, you know, collaborative teams within the business mm. that work, you know, in a very, very flat, agile way where people work well, as individuals or as groups to solve the business challenges. Mm. And that's what we do. So we, just, you know, if you imagine an organizational structure now, it's built in three columns. We have our client centricity, client centric owned. Uh, we have the talent on the right hand side of the organization. On the left, we have the business growth team. That's typically the non billable people who are the, the account, the, the, maybe the financial people, the salespeople, marketing. And then underneath we have as like a secondary organization chart, which shows the the squads. It shows the um, where we might bring together. Let's say, so let's say we have a problem with mental health in the business. In the old days, you would train a line manager. You, you know, I would get trained as my as a as a general manager of a business to to basically deal with the men, mental health challenges in the company. Well, that's mm. not ridiculous like someone coming to me to get help with mental health you know i'm a gen x i'm just going to tell them to tough it out i'm no good at that you need to that's a bit harsh it's not true but i you know you know today we do have mentally health uh mental health first aiders within business and those mental health first aiders could come from anywhere in the company and it's Mm. right has a problem with mental health they don't go their line manager they go and find the best person if someone's Mm. got a problem with their payroll who do they do they come to me as their line manager? No, they should go to the payroll department or the account or the financial mm. department. So it's understanding that everyone in the business has, you know, and they will have their processes and their ways to streamline the efficiency on how they solve those problems. But the reality is that within the org charts we create, we have this kind of joint roles and responsibility. We have teams. So we have a sales team made up of a collection of people from above. We might have a uh, a culture team made up of the best people across the organization who, you know, eat, sleep and drink the the behaviors and values of the organization. And you can build then really nice teams and squads um, that can actually then take more ownership mm. of projects that are needed to be done within the bigger organization. Yeah. Yes. You are very passionate about this, Spencer. And I, I love it. I love your, um, your, your passion of, of this factor. And obviously you've seen it work and you've seen the benefits and, and uh, you know, just for me, it's that creating that environment where people take ownership, people take responsibility, and through that, they become more engaged, more motivated, higher performing. Yeah. Um, it it knocks out the gatekeeper of all the light manager, which potentially they can become a gatekeeper, uh, and actually they can just really develop. And in almost as you you know become entrepreneurial and as a business, you can entrepreneurial as yourself. Uh, and I think that's really there's huge benefits, and we could obviously talk for a long time on this i know we could and so uh, just for the sake of time uh, i do thank you for that I really, there's some real insights and really some, some some challenging things there for people as well um if people want to connect with you and get in touch with you what is the the best way of doing that 
Uh, best way to do that, pop along to LinkedIn, type my name in, um, follow me, uh, send me a LinkedIn message, uh, and yeah, we're probably the easiest place to get hold of me. Excellent. Well, well, thank you for your time today and your insights, uh, Spencer. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me along. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you do like this episode, then please do rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, we coach high performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions. We'll help you to go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation with me. Contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.